Masechet Megillah Daf Chavtet. We are in the context of talking about honoring the Torah, the Torah itself, and also those who study Torah. And then after that, we're going to see some halachot about, and nagadot about that. Then we're going to see the next Mishnah, which is about the four special parashiyot that we read in Adar. So we begin, Tenora Banan, Me'vatilin tamu Torah lo hatzatamet ulhachnasat hakala. As important as Torah study is, we do interrupt our studies uh, for two reasons. One is to uh, escort the escort the dead uh, to uh, attend a, a a levaya, and also to attend a wedding and uh, bring bring away uh, bring a bride into her canopy and help them to celebrate. And in fact, we learned about that he stopped his Torah study for these two things, for a funeral and for a wedding. In a lot of different halachot, there are parallels between this the saddest time and the happiest time in interesting ways. Uh, but both the life cycle events uh, that are that significant that, yes, we stop even Torah learning. But this is only true if there's not enough people there and you, we, one is needed. However, if there's a wedding and there's already a lot of people there or a funeral, a lot of people attending, and uh, you are not going to be missed and you are not needed, uh, there, then in that case, uh, uh, continue studying Torah. Someone else will make the bride happy and give honor to the dead. How many is uh, sufficient? Uh, this was regarding, a, it doesn't talk about in a wedding, but in a funeral, 12,000 men and another 6,000 besides that to blow horns. They would blow horns to get everybody to mourn and announce that this person has died. Another version says 12,000 altogether, among them 6,000 with horns. Okay, this is quite a big uh, number. Uh, most people don't uh, have the merit of having this many thousands of people at their funeral. Ola said uh, this would be uh, the number of people to make a procession from the town gate all the way to the place of burial. The, uh, the uh, place of burial would be some, somewhere outside of the town. And so you want to be able to have a procession and fill that whole space. So I guess this in this case would be variable depending on quite how what that distance is. And he says, Rav Sheshat gives an even bigger number. Uh, like the Torah was given, so too when it's taken away. What you see from here is that the, this, at least this number, and probably the numbers before, aren't talking about a regular common person. For a regular common person, we say 10 people, there should be a minyan there. Um, but the, these, uh, these numbers are specifically, we're talk, talking about a tamid chacham, someone who deserve respect, deserves respect, uh, not only for, for himself and by his family, but also because he has studied and taught Torah, and therefore we want to honor the Torah that he represents. And so in this case, just like the Torah was given eh, with 600,000 people, so too, if it's taken away by a uh, sage uh, passing away, and then we should honor it with 600,000 people. Uh, so basically, everyone has to stop studying Torah uh, to honor someone who has studied. And that's not even the biggest number, but the 600,000 is for someone who studied Tanakh, and halachot and mishnah, and uh, he knows that. But for someone who not only learned it but also was a teacher, there is no limit. Everybody, um, everybody who can must go to the funeral. So this is a way of showing and how important it is to stop whatever you're doing, even learning Torah, in order to honor Torah. I think it also shows the educational value of funerals, that uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not, not only to honor the dead, but by, by going there and by having these large numbers, everybody will say, oh, look, what this is what is honorable. This is the, this is a, what, somewhat the goal to, uh, to achieve. Um, you know, someone amasses uh, a lot of uh, houses and cars, there's no halacha that you have to go, that everybody has to stop what they're doing for, for a funeral, right? And so by doing this only for someone who studies Torah, uh, thereby everyone will be encouraged to follow that model. Good, Tanya, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai Omer. 
we're going to talk about this the next context is about the importance of a bit Knesset, um, which is also a, a place of holiness. And so we start with talking about see how beloved are the people of Israel before Hashem, even when we go into exile, uh, deserving of uh, uh, punishment for whatever reason, nevertheless, Hashem does not leave us, abandon us, but comes with us, right? This is a really important theological statement to say, you know, where is Hashem when bad things happen? And the answer is he's with those who are suffering, even if, he, even if we deserve it, nevertheless. He is still suffering with us. Um, and how do we see this? When they went down to Egypt, the Shekhinah was with them. Uh, Pasuk from Shemuel, literally it means, did I not reveal myself to your father when they were in Egypt? But the word can also be read as galut. Did I not go down to exile? Was I not in exile with your forefathers when they were in Egypt? And so where is Hashem in, in the Egyptian slavery? Hashem was with the slaves. When we went into the exile, the Babylonian exile, Shekhinah was with us. The simple reading of the Pasuk is that because of you, because of your sins, Hashem says, I sent you to Babel. But we're reading as if it says, Shulachti, I was sent, Hashem says. I have to go into captivity to Babel. You know, like a father, even if he has to punish his son, but he's still uh, sad and in pain if his son is in pain. And so too, since Hashem went into exile, Hashem needs to be redeemed as well. And so Shekhinah will come back with the people. Again, the plain reading means is a, uh, means Hashem will bring back uh, the bring back those who were captive. Um, but it doesn't say veheshiv. It would be a hifiel causative verb. And so for that form of the verb is referring to Hashem as the subject, and Hashem is going to be the one returning since he went into exile also. Okay, now when we are in Bavel, where precisely is the Shekhinah? It's not all over Bavel. Bavel is not a holy country. It's in these, uh, these two main synagogues in Hutzal and in the other synagogue in Nehardea that's called Shaf Viativ, which literally means destroyed and rebuilt. So apparently this Bet Knesset was destroyed and rebuilt. Uh, uh, during the time that they were there. But it's not that it's in both places at the same time, but rather sometimes here and sometimes there. Okay, this is curious because I mean, Shekhinah can be in many places at once. Uh, there's, no, there's, no, there's no limit to that. In Zagadot, they talk about that specifically, um, where uh, uh, the, the foreign king asks the rabbis, oh, where is Shekhinah? Is it here or there? And the, uh, the rabbi answers, how about sunlight? Is sunlight only one place? Is sunlight could be as everywhere. And so too, Shekhinah could be everywhere. But apparently, um, these uh, Beteknesiot were in use at one time or another. So only when it was in use, it was here. And then and, uh, people moved and used the other one. Then Shekhinah was there. And Abaya says, I deserve reward. Uh, it's good to, to acknowledge the, the good deeds that one does. And it says, even if I am a parsa far away from the Bet Knesset, I will go to that Bet Knesset. Uh, um, parsa is like, uh, I don't know, three miles. So he'd go out of his way to make sure to be there and pray there. Okay, so interesting agadot about um, these rabbis in the Bet Knesset, uh, in the Haradah, and they hear the Shekhinah coming. Shekhinah is, uh, is like a, this physical presence that, that some kind of sound, uh, a wind or or quake that uh, that comes in. And so they they are afraid of it. And so they left uh, the building uh, because uh, now they were afraid of this um, uh, this encounter with holiness. Similarly, was in the Beit Knesset when the, he, he felt the presence of Shekhinah entering. But Rav Shashat did not leave. He stayed. The angels uh, wanted to come and kick him out. 
And so we're fighting him. And he makes a prayer and he says, Hashem, uh, he who is wretched and he was not wretched, who should lead before whom? At the end of his life became blind. And so he's just a regular person who's blind, says, I, I, I'm, I'm in more need. Or regarding the angels, oh, they can they can go if they if they don't like me here, if they we don't want to, if they can't be here with me. And so Hashem said, okay, leave him alone. Right, he is worthy to stay. And so this is uh, just giving I can, the tangible uh, evidence of the uh, power of the presence of the Shekhinah, even in even in Bavel, um, a kind of a consolation, even though we can't be in Eretz Yisrael and can't ha- be in the Bet Hamikdash. Uh, don't worry. Hashem is out there in Galut with us uh, when, and specifically in the Bet Knesset. That even though there's no big Bet Hamikdash where Hashem's presence is, but Hashem will be the small Mikdash anywhere they go. Hashem will be with them. And that specifically is in where we pray and study Torah. says specifically it's the house of Rav, the, bet, the, uh, the study house of Rav uh, in Bavel, because he was the, uh, the Gadol Hador, but everybody learned, whoever, from whom everybody learned Torah. That's the source of Shekhinah in Bavel. Since Basuk says in the Tefillah Moshem in the Mizmor 90, says Hashem, you are our dwelling place for all generations. So, what do you mean, all generations? Isn't Hashem, uh, I know the Bet HaMikdash and Mishkan is a dwelling place when they are around. So, where is the dwelling place afterwards? So beautiful that Asha, since it says for all generations, oh, this would be the houses of prayer and houses of study and all times and all places. Nabaya says, I used to study at home, right? A nice peace and quiet at home. And then I would go to Bet Knesset to pray, to be with Minyan. However, once he learned Pasuk in Tehilim that says, Hashem, I love dwelling in your home. And what is Hashem's home? That's the Bet Knesset. So I go to Bet Knesset even for study, because just being in that, in that environment, in that presence, one can benefit from the holiness of the Shekhinah. Tanya Rabbi Elazar Kapar Omer. This is one day all of the synagogues and study halls in Babel are going to move and go to Eretz Israel eventually when the exile is over. The point is that we don't just uh, leave it behind. These are holy places and they deserve to come with us wherever we go. Uh, when when we go have when we have the redemption and go to Israel. Uh, like Tabor among the mountains and Kamel, so shall he come. Okay, this is referring to another uh, another midrash that at Matan Torah all the mountains were jealous of Har Sinai. Why does that little mountain get to have the uh, the Torah given on it? And so they all came and uh, and complain, complained, or all came and came to learn Torah uh, as well. So now we learn a kavachomer. Okay, in this version, the other mountains come because they want to learn Torah also. And they, um, even though they only came for one, one study session, that's it. You know, Muhammad Sinai was one, a one-time event. And yet they are, they, they, because in merit of that, they become established and they get to be in Israel. Um, so, where we study Torah and the rabbis would give the rashot, and where they study full time, uh, so, and they do that all the time, all, all year long, all the more so that these, uh, these structures, these organizations, they deserve to come with the Jews uh, during, the, during the Geula. Okay, Darash Bar Kapara, uh, regarding those mountains who were coming, and in this version, they're uh, coming with a complaint. This is from Mizmor 68. This is Mizmor that we actually recite on Shavuot. Has a lot of references to 
to Sinai and to um, Great Theophany. And so we have, uh, there's a lot of difficult words in this Mizmor, um, a, a lot of uh, ancient words that are hard to understand. So the Midrash helps us out. And so the, what the Pasuk says, how come you look askance, you high peaked mountains at the mountain of God that he desires for his abode? Uh, so, we're interpreting Tedasidun as if it's a concatenation of two words. Why are you coming in judgment and seeking legal dispute with Sinai? After all, each one, each one of you mountains are like are blemished compared to Sinai. Sinai is a beautiful, perfect mountain. It's low, it's humble, it's modest, and therefore, therefore it's deserving to have the Torah given upon it, which is, uh, of course, a symbol of uh, those who study Torah must also be uh, similarly humble and modest. Uh, in order to uh, be able to receive it. So how do we understand the word gavnunim? Well, it's also a combination of words, giben and dak, uh, someone who's uh, 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 crooked, has some kind of deformity. Uh, this is a great lesson. Someone who is arrogant, all high upon themselves, and uh, you know bullies others, you can tell that that person themselves has a blemish that they're trying to overcome by uh, taking it, uh, taking out taking it out on other people, right? Someone who's uh, who's who's good and in and of themselves and healthy and of uh, sound mind doesn't have a need to be jealous of others. And so these uh, mountains that were coming and were jealous and complaining about Hasinai is because they themselves had their own blemishes, and therefore they were they were they were in fact undeserving. Okay, one of the ways that we honor a Bet Knesset, any holy place, is that we don't make it a shortcut. We don't use it for our own personal gain. Kapandri also is a concatenation. Probably originally was a Latin phrase to meaning a, short, a shortcut. Um, but all, all these words that are foreign words, uh, Gemara likes to explain with familiar words from Hebrew or Aramaic. And here we put it together as two words, um, which means instead of going around uh, these, uh, this, these, this row of houses, I will go this way and go through. And so that's what it means. A, that's how we get to shortcut. If before the Bet Knesset was built, this was a common pathway, everybody would go through in this shortcut through this plot of land, and then they built the Bet Knesset afterwards. In that case, the public retains the right to that shortcut. And so the Bet Knesset was built on condition that people will be able to go through, and that case is permitted. So also another loophole, someone goes into a Bet Knesset for, for some reason, he wants to uh, study something or whatever. Um, so he goes in for a different reason. And then in the end, he says, you know what? Oh, I have to go out that way anyway. Uh, so as long as he didn't go in for the purpose of a shortcut, he can, in the end, use it for a shortcut. Similarly, if someone goes into Beit Knesset primarily to pray, and he goes there and he, he, he prays, whatever, then he can make it a shortcut. And it uh, sounds like you could even do this knowing that like, I go in this way, I come from, I come from, from home this way, and I, when I go to work after, I go, I'm going to go out the other door, which is closer. That's totally fine. This is Yechazkel describing in the future, when, when people come, they're going to enter into the northern gate, they're going to bow, and they're going to leave from the southern gate. But Michal sounds like it's actually ideal to do so, that, uh, you know, somehow when you go in and come out of the same gate, you're kind of undoing what, what, what you did. And so it's actually more respectful to go in and do something and go out another gate to show you're progressing and you now got something out of it. So as long as you're going in for the primary purpose of bowing there, of praying there, then it's fine to leave from a different doorway. Ended saying that if Bet Knesset was in ruins and now weeds are growing, leave them there so that people should feel anguish and then they will hopefully rebuild it. 
challenge to that. It says, It says, you're not allowed to rip up the grass and feed it to your animals. But if you want to rip it up and leave it there, then it's permitted. But the Mishnah sounds like it's not permitted at all. And our answer is, No, in fact, the Mishnah, when it says it's not it's prohibited, we're talking about uh, pl- pl- uh, uh, plucking the grass and using it to feed the animals. You shouldn't benefit from uh, from this. But if you're plucking it and leaving it there, and that's uh, that's permitted. Uh, an interesting parallel, just like a bet knesset, we have to treat uh, seriously because of its holiness. So too, uh, a cemetery. Uh, not that it's not that it's holy, but it's a, a dedicated place, and so it has to be also be treated with respect, respect of the dead. Uh, so we don't, uh, we don't, we shouldn't be lightheaded and tell jokes in, uh, uh, in a cemetery. And we also don't bring your animals to go and, and graze in a cemetery. It's not a grazing land. We don't use it to bring oh, an aqueduct to, to go through the land. And you don't uh, pluck the grass. So and if you did pluck it, then you're not allowed to use it for any other purpose. You can't feed it to the animals. You can't bring it home and burn it for, for firewood, but burn it right on the spot, burn it right there. Uh, so you don't get any personal benefit from it. And then it ends with, and this is out of respect for the dead. This last three words, we're curious. What is it? What is it explaining? If it's on the last thing that if you pluck grass, you should burn it at the spot, and that's out of respect for the dead. Well, what respect for the dead is making a bonfire in the middle of the cemetery going to happen? They don't. They don't. They don't need the warmth of it. So, what does that even mean? Uh, rather, these last three words actually going on the beginning of it. Don't act with lightheadedness and telling jokes and clowning around because. That would not be honorable for the dead. Um, okay, actually, I mean these words can refer to the uh, everything in the in the Braita, um, That also making use of it for personal personal use is not honorable to the dead. Very good. And now the next Mishnah is some good uh, practical halachot that uh, we're going to be we're going to be enacting soon uh, in about another another um, a month or so. Rosh Chodesh Adar Shechaliyot BeShabbat. Okay, when you have Rosh Chodesh Adar, and there's also Shabbat, so then that very Shabbat, we read Parashat Shekalim, we're going to start announcing that everybody should be giving Machasita Shekel, and they should start preparing to give it um, on Rosh Chodesh Adar. However, if Rosh Chodesh Adar is in a week, during a weekday, then Maktimim then we read Parashat Shekalim, the the uh, uh, the Shabbat beforehand before the Rosh Chodesh, Shabbat Acheret, and then the Shabbat the next Shabbat we take a pause and don't read any special reading any of the four special readings. Okay, so that way we know for sure we get in an announcement about everyone giving Machasita Shekel before Rosh Chodesh Adar starts. Now on the second Shabbat, Bashiniyah. Zachor. That so you're gonna skip a week if it is, you know, if in fact it's not Rosh Chodesh itself, because we want Shabbat Zachor to be read on the second Shabbat, which will inevitably be the Shabbat before Purim. Uh, since uh Zachor, remember Amalek is connected to Purim, uh, Haman was from Agag, uh Agagi, and we understand Agagi to mean he's from Agag, who was the king of Amalek. So we want to make sure to read Zachor right before Purim. Aduma. On the ne- on the third Shabbat of Chodesh uh, Adar, we read Para Aduma because now we have to start preparing for Pesach, and we're going to need to bring a Para Aduma. Everybody has to be uh, tahor and get rid of the everybody. Otherwise, tamemet during the year, and so they have to get go prepare Para Aduma to sprinkle it on the people so that they can be tahor, so they they can come to the Bet Hamikdash uh, for Korban Pesach. And then on the final Shabbat uh, in Adar, we read HaChodesh um, HaZelachem uh, from Parashat Bo, uh, Parashat, uh, Parashat HaShavua coincidence, uh, because uh, that's going to be, that's referring to Rosh Chodesh Nisan, and that's one coming up. So we have to re- remind ourselves that this is now the first month of the year. 
Chosrin lechesidran. These are very interesting words. On the fifth week after you, since you started, then we go back to the regular parashat shavua. Well, this, this suggests that unlike what we do today, in those times, they would actually not read parashat shavua at all for those four uh, weeks. They would only read uh, this, uh, that, that section from you know, Parashat Shekalim, Parashat Zachor, and so on, instead of Parashat Shavua. Okay, so really fascinating. Uh, the Gemara is going to bring, is going to uh, uh, bring this, that interpretation. It will also bring another uh, view, which is what we do today, which is that we read the regular Parashat Shavua, and then the Maftir comes and reads uh, from a, a second Sefer Torah, uh, we'll read Parashat Shekalim, Parashat Zachor, Aduman, Parashat HaChodesh, um, and it's rather when it says this, is actually referring to the Haftarah. And that is what we do today. We don't read the regular Haftarah of Parashat HaShavua during those four weeks, but rather a special Haftarah for um, these four special Parshiyot. Okay, we'll see more about that. And then we say, Now, in general, we will stop the regular Parashat HaShavua and here, the next following list is talking about the Monday, Thursday readings on Rosh Chodesh. If Rosh Chodesh falls out on Monday or Thursday, we do not read Parashat HaShavua, but rather the Parashat of Rosh Chodesh from Parashat Pinchas. Um, because if it's on Shabbat, then we read the regular Parashat HaShavua and we only do Maftir of Rosh Chodesh. Similarly on Chanukah. On Chanukah, Monday, Thursday, we read the Chanukah reading of the Nisi'im in number seven. Purim, Purim is on Monday and Thursday. We read the Purim section of Amalek, Betaniyot, Bamamadot. If there's a public fast day, Monday and Thursday, and that's actually when the, 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 the series of public fast days were for rain or any other public fast day that we do today, we read Baichal Moshe. Um, not the Parashat Tashua and Ma'amadot. If you were one of the one of the groups of uh, non Kohanim who represents the nation during for a week uh, for Korban Tamid, they had special readings from Bereshit Perek Aleph, and so they would take out a Torah and read those, and not Parashat Tashua. Ube Yom Kippurim also Yom Kippur. Now, why mention Yom Kippur? Um, well, if Yom Kippur is on a Monday or Thursday. Uh, or Shabbat, it doesn't matter. Kippur is like every other holiday, right? Every holiday, we read the holiday reading and not Parashat HaShavua. But Yom Kippur is, has something in addition to the others, which is when Yom Kippur is on Shabbat, then we read, then we, um, then even during Mincha, we read the uh, uh, a reading for Yom Kippur and not, and not for Parashat HaShavua, we read the Parashat Parashav Adayot. Okay, good. So that's the Mishnah, and now we analyze Tenan Hatam Behad Ba'adar Mashmi'in Al Hashikalim. So now we have, uh, and this is now at Masechet Shikalim. We have a Mishnah, the very first one that says, "On Rosh Chodesh Adar, we make an announcement regarding Shikalim. Hey, everybody, time to pay up your Machasita Shekel for the year." We also announce Ve'al Hakil Aim. We also announce that everybody go and check your your fields and see if there's any kilayim growing. You see, during uh, at, at this time of year, beginning of Adar, is when things will start growing. And then, um, not only you're not allowed to plant two different species, even if they're just there for, for on their own, uh, and they start growing, you, know, you also uh, violate kilayim. So go and check your field and see if there's any, th- any kind of two species growing together. Go ahead and uproot one of them. Okay. So we understand why Kilaim is necessary to announce now and in the beginning of Adar, because this is when uh, things are starting to grow. But Shekalim, what's the reason? Why do we need to announce Shekalim now? After all, actually, the deadline of Shekalim would be Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Right from Rosh Chodesh Nisan, we want to start bringing all the uh, Korban Tamid, all the public uh, offerings from the machasita shekel everybody donates. So really the cutoff line, the cutoff is Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So why do we should, why should we announce from Rosh Chodesh Adar? And the answer is, so Rav Tavi, his name is going to come up a few times. So remember his name here. And he says, since uh, Torah says, this is Olat Chodesh Bechodesh. This is referring to the Korban Tamid. And it says, the 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 um the burnt offering and and the and the new moon this is referring to the 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 musaf for Rosh Chodesh in its month. 
So Torah says, the, there's a lot of extra words here, right? Chodesh, Bechodsho. So one of them we're reading as Chadesh, something new. When from now on, you should bring the Korban, Musaf, and all the public uh, Korbanot from the new Terumah, from the new Machasita Shekel. Okay. And we have to start doing that on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So if we start announcing on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, hey, everybody bring me Machasita Shekel, by the time they come and bring it, it's going to take a few days or a few weeks. It's already too late. We need everything to be ready. Uh, so therefore, So we go a month earlier and make an announcement. So everybody prepare so that when they, uh, when they come, they will bring their shekalim with them to the Bet HaMikdash and donate them. And, um, and that way we'll be ready from a month before. We'll start getting ready and we'll have all the we'll have a sufficient funds collected uh, on Rosh Chodesh Nisan for the uh, for the communal uh, uh, offerings. Keman. Okay. Oh, uh, whose opinion does this follow? Must be we're not following Rashbag. Rashbag says that how long do you have to prepare for Pesach? Only two weeks. In general, when do we start asking questions and teaching the laws of Pesach? Uh, so the first opinion says 30 days. In other words, as soon as Purim is over, we already start opening the Lacha books to learn the laws of Pesach. They're very complex and everyone forgets them from, from year to year. And so we should start learning. And that's what we do. Rashbag, uh, however, says, no, you don't need the whole 30 days. Two weeks is sufficient from Rosh Chodesh Nisan, that's when you can start preparing for Pesach. Okay, so how does this relate to what we were talking about? You see, according to Rashbag, he only, he only requires two weeks of preparation for Pesach. So too, regarding Machasita Shekel, we should apply the same uh, timeline and say, we don't need a whole month to prepare for Machasita Shekel, uh, which would be Rosh Chodesh Adar. It's enough to prepare for two weeks. So in that, in that case, in the middle of Adar, we could read Parashat Shekalim. So then there'll be two weeks till Rosh Chodesh Nisan when people actually have to bring it. So it looks like our Mishnah is not like Rashbag, but we answer. Because we learned that already on the 15th of Adar, we set up uh, money-changing tables are all in other places all around the country so that people will uh, be able to go in their local town and give Machazita Shekel on the 15th of the month. And then those, those uh, money-changers will bring that, bring that money to the Bet HaMikdash before Rosh Chodesh. And uh, around the Mikdash in Yerushalayim itself, they set up the money, the money tables to collect on the 25th because they're right there. So they don't need any time to travel. Anyway, since in uh, most, most places where people live, they're already going to start collecting on the 15th. So in fact, it is exactly two weeks. We announce on Rosh Chodesh Adar. Everybody in two weeks, like Rashbag says, you need two weeks preparation. There's going to be the money changers. So prepare your machasita shekel to give. My parashat shekalim. Okay, this is going to have a long discussion now. When we say read the parasha regarding the giving of shekalim, which parasha is that? We have two opinions. Rav Amar Savet Bnei Esav Matalehem Ki Et Kol Bani Lachmi Ushmel Amar Kitisa. Okay, so we know Shemuel because that's what we do. We read the parasha of Kitisa that says when you're taking count, right? Then ask everybody to give a machasita shekel. In the context, uh, that sounds like it's a one-time event. Uh, that uh, this is um, this would be well, depending on how you how, how the chronology is. Uh, maybe after 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 they do the uh, 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 golden calf, and so this is a kapara, as it says in that in that parasha. Anyway, it sounds like it's a one-time collection of a kitisa. Uh, but as we're going to see, uh, the rabbis then uh, uh, learn it as a, a yearly uh, collection. Okay, so since this is the source from which we learn that you have to give machasita shekel every year, this, this is parashat shekelim. So Shomel makes a lot of sense. But Av says no. Rather, we read from parashat pinchas, chapter 28, 
which talks about the, uh, the, the, the daily offering of Korban Tamid and Rosh Chodesh offerings and all the offerings. That's what we read. So we have to explain them. I understand according to Shemuel, that's why I call Parashat Shekalim. And Benson actually mentioned Shekalim. Shekalim. Does it say anything about Shekalim? It does not. And the answer is in Tamamai Kedarab Tabi. The reason is, as we saw before with Rav Tabi, Rav Tabi says, why do we collect Machasita Shekel? That these funds are collected so that we can use them to buy Kurban Tamid and Kurban Musaf. And so, therefore, yes, even though it doesn't say the word Shekalim, it tells us the goal, the purpose for which we will use the Shekalim. And so therefore, rather than read the instructions of giving, it's uh, better to read the purpose that we are going to use this money for. Right, we want to make sure that, uh, if you remember, uh, uh, according to the sectarians, they allowed people to personally sponsor and donate a Kurban Tamid. Uh, but the rabbis did not want that. This is a communal offering. Therefore, everybody uh, deserves to get a share, a small piece in it. Okay, now we're gonna we're gonna uh, evaluate each of these Rav and Shemuel uh, to see their merits so based on different criteria, and so this time we say well, I understand according to Rav who says we talk about korbanot as we mentioned regarding Rabbi Tavi. Right, so we have to bring all these uh, this money to contribute to communal offerings. Shekalim ladanim ketive is a great question. Uh, it says in Kitisa, does it say anything about well, that you're going to use the Shekalim for Korbanot? Does not, right? Because over there in context, it looks like it's a one time collection that is going to be used for the building of the Mishkan. And specifically, uh, when you have the, 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 the walls of the Mishkan, they will be connected, the panels will be connected to each other uh, through these sockets. And so these sockets were made with the shekalim that the people brought. And so this is just a one-time thing. And so therefore, it makes more sense to read Savet Bnei Israel rather than Kitisa. And the answer is, Rav Yosef, Shalosh Tirumoten. Rav Yosef says, if you look at Parashat Shekalim, which is in, in Kitisa in Exodus 30, you'll see that it says the word to give Tirumah uh, three times. And therefore, we learn there's three different purposes for them. Um, and three different uh, collections that we are going to apply. Shel mizbeach, lemizbeach, that which the one, one that says it'll be tudumah uh, Hashem. That means it's going for the purpose of the mishka. That, sorry, one that's going Hashem. that means it's going to the mizbeach. It's going to buy the animals that will be communal offerings because that is directly offered to Hashem. Veshel adenim ladanim. And the next uh, phrase it says is referring to uh, the Adanim, so that's to that's to collect to collect, and that's to referring to that one-time event. And the third instance of Tiruma uh, there, um, when it says everyone should give, right, not more or less. Um, no, that one's referring to the to the altar. Okay, the note here says which one is referring to uh, to to which. Uh, so the one here in fourteen is referring to the maintenance uh, of it. Right, everyone, everyone will give the contribution. So that is any leftover. Uh, you have to contribute to the upkeep, upkeep of the Mishkan and then of the Beta Mikdash. And so that's what it's used. Uh, that's what these um, the, these are used for. And so that's an answer to the question: uh, Why coin to Shemuel? Why do read Kitisa? In fact, Kitisa is not talking about only a one-time contribution, but an annual contribution that will be used for these three purposes. And so we don't have to, we, we can infer it from there, and we don't have to read it from Savit B'nai Sale. All right, good. Now, Bishlam Alaman Damar Kitisa. We understand according to Shemuel, Hainu Hai Rosh Chodesh Shechodashim. If you read Kitisa, then Rosh Chodesh Adar, um, that, that falls on Shabbat, will be different from every other Rosh Chodesh. Uh, because on that day, you're going to be reading three Sifre Torah from Parashat HaShavua, uh, assuming that we, uh, we continue with the Parashat HaShavua. Okay, either way, it doesn't matter. We're going to, but we're going to be reading uh, Parashat Rosh Chodesh, which is from Bemidbar 28, and we're going to be reading Kitisa, which is from Shemot 30. So we're going to bring two special Sifre Torah, and so that's how the Shodesh Adar on Shabbat will be different from a regular Rosh Chodesh that falls on Shabbat. 
Ela lamanda masavet korbani, maishane, but according to Rav who says, what's parashat shekalim? It's the same reading as parashat rosh chodesh. Parashat rosh chodesh. I mean, we don't read the whole, we don't read from sav, uh, we read uh, from uh, from the, 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 the last section of Yom HaShabbat. Uh, but never, it could be in those days, they, maybe they read the, the entire chapter. Okay, in any case, we're, we're reading the same thing. And so there's no, there's no, no, no one will notice that this is Parashat Shekalim because it's the same as the reading for Rosh Chodesh. So what are you going to do with that, Rav? And the answer is, Or is a difference? Eh, when is Rosh Chodesh? Uh, we read a six in Parashat Shavua. So this is assuming that we are, yeah, we always, I mean, for Rosh Chodesh, we always continue Parashat HaShavua. So uh, we read six aliyot in Parashat HaShavua, and then one we read for Rosh Chodesh. Interestingly, over here, we assume that the mashlim is also the maftir. Okay, um, uh, we, we discussed that a couple of ago. And so we read six and then one. Whereas Ahida now, when it's Rosh Chodesh Adar on Shabbat, Kulehu Rosh Chodesh, in that case, we read all seven from the Rosh Chodesh portion. So you see here, according to this, we do not read Parashat HaShavua at all. Um, so that's the difference. On a regular Shabbat uh, Rosh Chodesh, we read Parashat HaShavua and one Aliyah for Rosh Chodesh. When is Parashat Shekalim on, on Shabbat, Rosh Chodesh Adar on Shabbat, then we read only Parashat Pinchas 28 for the double reason. That is Parashat Rosh Chodesh and that is Parashat Shekalim. So it is noticeable. It is different from everybody else. Good. Fine. That answer makes sense according to the opinion that says that we interrupt the regular parashat shavua reading, and and when and so and only after those four readings, then we go back to the regular parasha reading. Then you have a difference that on Shabbat Rosh Chodesh Adad we're reading no parashat shavua, only numbers twenty-eight. So then it's clear. But according to the other opinion, the one that we do today, which is we interrupt the Haftarah reading only during those four parashiyot, but the regular parashat HaShavua, we continue to read each week. In that case, there'll be no way to distinguish between a regular Shabbat Rosh Chodesh and Shabbat Shekalim Rosh Chodesh, because we're only reading one, uh, we're, we're reading regular Parashat HaShavua either way, and we're just adding one Aliyah for the special thing, but the special, that one Aliyah could be the same as Rosh Chodesh and as, as Shekalim. So the answer for that will be Shane. It is different nevertheless. On a regular Rosh Chodesh all year round that falls around Shabbat, we'll read six from Parashat HaShavua and one from the second Sefer Torah for Rosh Chodesh. Whereas on Rosh Chodesh Adar, Parashat Shekalim, that falls on Shabbat, this is interesting. We've never seen this happen. We, we, nobody does this. But uh, this is what he would say. He would read three aliyot from Parashat HaShavua. So that, and you read, that's, you have to really condense it, read the whole parasha in three. And then you'd read four aliyot from Bemidbar 28. And that would include both Rosh Chodesh and Parashat Shekalim, which according to Rav is the very same thing. And so you would notice it by the different breakup. It would be actually the same reading, but different breakup because on Shabbat, just Shabbat Rosh Chodesh, no Shekalim. So Parashat Shekalim is the main thing. So read most, you know, most of the aliyot there. Um, whereas when it's Parashat Shekalim, Parashat Shekalim is the main thing. So we have the majority of the aliyot are in the, the, that second Sefer Torah. Okay, good. Now we're going to have two challenges to the opinion of Rav. When uh, Rosh Chodesh Adar is on Shabbat, we read uh, the parasha of Shekalim, um, 
and it doesn't define what that is, right? That's uh, and the haftarah is Yehoyada Kohen. That's is the haftarah we read till today for Parashat Shekalim, where it talks about Yehoyada, and they have to go and they have to collect money for the upkeep of the Bet Hamikdash, and everybody has to, everybody has to give uh, has to, has to give money. So it's a direct parallel. So Bishlam Alamanda Markitisa, if Parashat Shekalim is Kitisa, and talking about everyone giving Masichat Shekel, Hainu Demaftinim Yehoyada Kohen, the Damile. So then it makes sense to use the haftarah as a haftarah. The haftarah always has to be similar to the Torah reading. And just like the Torah talks to every talks about everybody giving uh, money, so too in that haftarah it talks about everybody coming and giving money uh, according to their assessment. But if you say the shikalim reading is regarding korbanot, is there any similarity? Doesn't say anything about that about Korban Tamid or Musaf. Doesn't say anything like that in uh, in in that Haftarah. Then the answer is Dame Rabbi Tavi. It is similar as Rabbi Tavi explained. What's the purpose for which we collect money for Korbanot? And therefore, yes, there's a direct connection between raising money in the Haftarah and Korbanot. That is going to be the Parashat Shekalim. Okay, he's able to answer it, but you know, the more questions you attack uh, someone with, the weaker and weaker that opinion gets. And that seems, seems to be the purpose of the of the Bavli here. Another challenge. It's very interesting. When Kitisa is the Parashat Shavua right before Parashat Shekalim or right after Parashat Shekalim. Then we read that and we read Kitisa and then the next week we'll read Kitisa again. Okay, this is assuming that we um, would stop the normal Parashat Shavua uh, in order to read this. So if you have, uh, you know, Tiruma is, Tiruma uh, Tesaveh, uh, 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 right? Or let's say Tesaveh is right before. Um, so then uh, you would stop and uh, it's, uh, let's say Parashat Shekalim was, uh, was that parasha. Was, let's say Vayakel. Parashat Shekalim is Vayakel. And so we would not read Vayakel, we'd read Kitisa. But you already read Kitisa the week before, right? So that's okay. We read Kitisa two weeks in a row. Okay, that's what the Barata teaches. Now, Bishlaman Lamandamar Kitisa, Hainu Dmitrameh Bahuzimna. If you think that, uh, what is Parashat Shekalim? Parashat Shekalim is Kitisa. Then it makes sense because Kitisa occurs right around the time of year of Rosh Chodesh Adar, right? It happens, um, it happens often. And so therefore, it could definitely happen that Parashat Kitisa uh, will be the, the week before, the week after Parashat Shekalim, and then you have to read the whole, that parasha twice in a row. Um, but if you're talking about that we, if Parashat Shekalim, according to Rav, is from Bemidbar 28, we don't we don't read that until many months later, right? That would be uh, that would be uh, much later, and so it would never happen that Parashat Shekalim would happen at the same right near when we read Parashat Pinchas. That's a good question, and the answer is in It could happen according to the triennial cycle. I remember in Babel they would read like we do. And uh, we uh, split up the, the whole Torah into 54 parts and they finished every year. But in Eretz Israel, they had the custom then that they would split the Torah into much smaller sections and they would complete the Torah in about three or three and a half years. And so it always, it's always different, kind of like Daf Yomi cycle, which is seven and a half years. And so every other cycle is, uh, um, is uh, completely different uh, Daf Yomi coincidences. Okay, and so therefore he has an answer. Okay, Rav answered both of those challenges. Nevertheless, we have an explicit baraita that supports Shemuel. So there you go. This baraita clearly says that we read Kitisa, and that is halacha that we do today. We read Parashat Kitisa for Parashat Shekalim. When we have a Rosh Chodesh Adar and it's on Shabbat, we have to take out three Sifre Torah. One for Parashat Shavua, one for Rosh Chodesh, and another one for Parashat Shekalim. Okay, good. And... Uh, 
that that's that's what we do. Amar be Yitzchak napachal. Now he says the second thing. Rosh Chodesh Tevet shechal yod b'Shabbat. Rosh Chodesh Tevet means uh, it's also Chanukah. Mevin shalosh Torah v'korim b'hen. Echad b'nyanos shel yom. Echad b'drosh Chodesh. Echad b'Chanukah. So we have to read one for Parashat Asher, one for Rosh Chodesh, and one to read the Chanukah reading. And this, in fact, happened just this past Chanukah. Now, he says both those things. Usricha, why do we need both? Can't you just teach us one and we'll figure out the other? I mean, it's a basic principle. If you have three different readings, you bring three different Sifrei Torah. Well, we need, we need both. If it be Yitzchak only taught us regarding um, regarding Hanukkah that you bring out three Sifre Torah, and then I would know, fine, maybe in that case, but that, but regarding Rosh Chodesh Adar, perhaps he would agree with Rav and says, who says that Parashat Shekalim is the same as the Rosh Chodesh reading, and therefore only two, two Sifre Torah is sufficient. So therefore he teaches both to say he agrees with Shemuel. Okay, fine. So teach me the one about Parashat Shekalim, and you don't have to tell me the one about Chanukah. And the answer is, you're right. Perhaps, in fact, Rabbi Yitzhak only taught us this one, the, one of these uh, statements, the one regarding Parashat Shekalim, and the other thing that we quoted in his name, he didn't necessarily actually say explicitly, but we derived it from uh, what he said in this statement. So it's an important principle that sometimes when you see a sage quoted in the Talmud, it, it could mean that he said it word for word. It could be that he implied it. Uh, sometimes it's through an action, or in this case, through another similar halacha that we derive, and we assume that he would agree and say the same thing in a different context. Okay, now, itemar. Rosh Chodesh Tevet Shechaliot Bechol. When what happens when Rosh Chodesh Tevet is on a weekday? So then you have to read both uh, Rosh Chodesh and Chanukah reading. So how do we do that? Amar Rabbi Yitzchak. This happens every year, right? Karut Elatav Rosh Chodesh Vechad Bechanukah. So we will. Well, it doesn't happen every year. Not 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 if it's on Shabbat, but. Um, if if Rosh Chodesh is during the week, so what do we do? So Rabbi Yitzchak says. We read three uh, aliyot in Rosh Chodesh and one in for Chanukah. Okay, generally Chanukah is three aliyot, but Rosh Chodesh is four aliyot. And so uh, Rosh Chodesh, according to Bishak, takes precedence and takes three of them. And the second Sefer Torah, well, only one for Chanukah. She's not the opposite. Three for Chanukah, one for Rosh Chodesh. What's the justification? I'm be mane. We have a general rule that something that occurs frequently uh, should take should take precedence over something that occurs less frequently. Rosh Chodesh is more frequent, and therefore we should follow Bishak that says we read Rosh Chodesh first, three of them, and then after that we, we read the less frequent one, which is Chanukah. No, I think the other opinion makes sense. This is what, what, what caused us to have to have three, uh, four aliyot. It's because of Rosh Chodesh. And therefore, we should read the three regular ones for Chanukah. We're going to read that anyway. And who said we need an extra one, Rosh Chodesh? Fine. So you be the extra one. Rosh Chodesh will be the fourth. Okay, we both uh, both good good logic. So my heavy alas, what are we gonna do? Don't worry about Rosh Chodesh. Chanukah should be the main reading, and that should be three. Rosh Chodesh will just add on one at the end. He says, No, we don't pay attention to Chanukah. Rosh Chodesh is more important. That's the main reading. Chanukah will add at the end. Okay, we still don't know what to do. Final answer, and the answer is, we don't worry about Chanukah. Rosh Chodesh is the main thing, and that is the halacha said that we do. Uh, we read uh, Rosh Chodesh, uh, three aliyot, and then we read only, only one uh, for Chanukah. And that's the final conclusion for today. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.